Hello and welcome to another The Analysis interview podcast. Uh, my name is David Seymour and of course um, this is coming from TotalFootballAnalysis.com. Really excited for this one. Um, I've got uh, Giancarlo Italiano who is um, the assistant coach and analyst of the Wellington Phoenix, which is a team uh, down in New Zealand but they play in uh, the A-League. And um, he's coming live to me from the other side of the world. So this is <laughs> fantastic. Uh, Giancarlo, how are you doing? Thanks for coming on. Yeah, great, David. Uh, thank you for having me on. Um, it's a pleasure to be on the show, uh, see all the good work the magazine's been doing um, uh, over the last couple of months that I've been subscribed. So uh, it's great that there was a reach out and, and we're able to ha- have a chat. Brilliant. And um, Giancarlo, I always like to start off these podcasts asking the guests to give a little bit of background on themselves, um, how they started off in the game and, and how they ended up where they are today. Yeah, sure. Uh, look, that's um, probably won't go back, uh, you know, um, a long time ago. But essentially, the the, uh, the in a nutshell, uh, I, I fell into coaching by accident. Uh, it was something that wasn't planned. Uh, I was playing recreationally with uh, friends. Um, I was actually trying to lose a bit of weight and, and get fit. And um, I was playing um, an all-age Sunday team. It's about 29, about to turn 30. And then the coach the second year didn't show up. Um, and then they were looking for a coach. And they all, you know, all the boys on the team were, you know, would you like to coach? And I said, no problem. Um, I didn't take it seriously, but uh, uh, it kind of it, it gained my interest. Uh, I love being around the group environment. And I tried a couple of different things, nothing um, nothing too spectacular. And, and I saw that they, they worked. Uh, we won the competition that year and then a couple of guys in the team said, look, it might be of your interest to maybe try something in elite level. Uh, so I thought elite level youth was probably the next calling. I didn't have – I just started with my licenses. So I uh, to help at a local club uh, who was playing in the NPL Division 1 there, which is the uh, the first tier for youth football. Um, and I've got the job uh, for the under-16s at the club and um, I had absolutely great, great success. I think we were like unbeaten for 16 games uh, after losing the first four games uh, when I took over. And, and and my my passion and just the fuel for to keep coaching was there. Um, and then my journey began where I just uh, I went to I took different roles across uh, six or seven years uh, at different clubs at different levels uh, in that elite structure. Um, I coached 15, 16s, under twenties. Then I became a technical director of a uh, of a club in the second division. Uh, and then I was fortunate enough to get another director of football coaching role at uh, Blacktown City, which was considered at the time the, the best club in New South Wales, um, and if not the country. Uh, and then I went to take a bit of time out. It was a couple of years ago. I was going to take a bit of a break. Um, and then uh, I was lucky enough to get a call from Sydney FC to come and help out. with The coach who had left, um, which is, I think, I'm not sure if you guys would know him, uh, David Zrilich, um, uh, ex-Australian international. He went to Leipzig and I think he's now at Chicago in the um, MLS as an assistant coach. So I, I went uh, and uh, just basically helped out the senior coach. Uh, then I was offered a, a contract to finish that remaining season uh, with the under-20s at Sydney FC. 
And then uh, I followed up with another year at the under-20s. Um, and in that time, I was able to work with um, uh, some of the coaching staff in the first team, the A-League team, um, even though I was directly involved. Uh, basically, my role was to implement the club um, playing structure and philosophy, um, which was a, a great challenge, but um, I found um, I found very rewarding. And then I was promoted to the National Youth League coach uh, that year after, after the second year. Um, the National Youth League uh, competition is the, the tier underneath the A-League. It's basically an under-20 competition with a couple of uh, exemptions for overage. It's a bit, a bit similar to the under-23s competition in the EPL. Um, and uh, I was there for one campaign, and then I left straight after that. Um, took a bit of a break, and then I was fortunate enough to get a call from Wellington Phoenix uh, the head coach, uh, Ulfek Talley, who was also at Sydney, uh, went over as the head coach um, and and asked me to go over. And uh, I was given a dual role as an assistant coach and uh, head analyst. Um, and I found myself in that role for the last year. Um, been a very, very re- rewarding role. Uh, been uh, it's been an absolute eye-opener. Well, the last three, four years of my coaching career really accelerated in terms of uh, the depth of knowledge and uh, and scope of um, um, of just my process in general uh, when it comes to that. Um, but, yeah, it's been, it's been a great year. No, it's actually Wellington itself as a city is unbelievable. It's, uh, New Zealand is a um, very scenic place and a uh, great place to, to be doing what I'm doing, so I'm very fortunate. I mean, with, with your current role and obviously you're, you're, you're working with analysis as well as coaching, um, how have you found that's impacted your coaching? Do you, do you feel that you take um, more of a sort of a look around you in terms of uh, what you're doing and why? Do you feel that there are sort of uh, benefits to coaches working on analysis as well at the same time? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I, and I think... Um, Probably the best way to approach it. I, I, I'm just going to talk from my, my point of view, and I won't talk from a from an analyst point of view. Uh, I, I've been on both sides. So the the, the first side as a coach, uh, I had an analyst at Sydney FC, uh, and um, I had a thorough process in, with respect to my game model, um, and um, I used the analyst very very well. It, it, he was able to give me. Um, um, a set of uh, a data output which was effective, all the coding, everything, but not until stepping into this role where I've had to do that that part as well as implement the model that my eyes have really opened because um, what I was looking for before I didn't uh, I didn't know what I was looking for before when I was just the coach. But when I crossed over to, to the uh, analyst part, my process as a coach became a lot better because I was able to sort out and had the tools in which to get where I wanted. So it just made uh, things a lot clearer. Um, I was able to reach endpoints uh, and conclusions more succinctly as well. So I was also more uh, had more, more better time management. Um, and um, and and time really is is of the essence in professional football because the turnaround from week to week is is immense. So uh, 
every hour, every every day you can save is actually giving you more time to uh, convey the message that you want to the playing group. So that that that's a general sort of um, answer. Um, but yeah, I I, I think the, the the general trend with coaches, I think the double the dual role gives a lot more texture to to the coaching side and likewise to the analyst side. I, I I think without being a coach and if I was just to be an analyst, I don't think I would have a lot of the skill set that I would have now. And if I was a coach without being an analyst, I don't think I'd, it, it works both ways. Can we go into the specifics of – you mentioned your game model. I'd be really interested to hear, Yes. first of all, I mean, what, you, what your game model was and then secondly, how you used – the analyst to benefit it. Okay, so the game the game model uh, in brief. Um, I mean, th- there's quite a lot to it. So essentially, we have um, certain traits um, in our playing model that we're we're, we're looking for. So um, I don't want to be too cliche because you, you hear a lot of people talk about this and they they give a lot of buzzwords and um, but we're we're very specific to what we're we're looking for. Um, so we we have a certain formation that we use, uh, and in that formation, where obviously uh, we have two elements to it. Uh, the first being there is a very defensive mi- uh, mindset in the actual approach for our game. That's probably our starting point. So within that, we have um, we probably have uh, four or five main principles that we adhere to. Then from that, we extract. Uh, our uh, obviously our transition uh, elements, which then builds into our attacking philosophy. So um, that's just unless you ask me specifically, I I, I don't want to like waffle on too much because I I, I could get lost. But um, from from that from that we um, we essentially derive from that player attributes. Um, we're looking at certain patterns uh, of play that come from that. Then once we establish all that through the playing model, uh, then we're able to match it up to the the analysis side, which is then reviewing the opponent uh, and putting a game plan in place uh, meshed up with obviously our model. So there's a bit of a process to it, and and I'll go I'll go in more detail, um, but um, there's quite a bit there's quite a bit to it. Um, it's not a, but the process is is simple enough where Someone that comes in from the outside can pretty much get within within a week or two what we're, what we're doing and what we're trying to achieve. So that, that's taken quite a bit of time. Um, and the fact is, uh, the head coach and myself are basically on the same page with with the football philosophy and the playing model. So it's made it a lot easier to transition um, into this club and to and to get the playing group into uh, buying into it. That's oh, right. Fascinating. Um, how, how do you find that the, the the playing group do buy into the analysis? I mean, um, would, would you say that analysis has been present in um, football in, in Australia and New Zealand for a while? Do you think it's a relatively new concept? And on top of that, do the, do the players re- respect it and, and, and use it to its fullest? Yeah, I, I think w- w- with anything um, and – See, an analysis needs to have a purpose, right? So, I mean, hopefully from what I mentioned before that the analysis side for us really extracts what we're trying to do and how we're, how we're trying to play. Um, 
with respect, I, I think, and I've seen it before. I think a lot of analysis is done, but it's often without an end or with a with a conclusion. Um, so there is analysis in the A League uh, and uh, and and in New Zealand. Uh, to what quality, I'm not quite sure. So I've only seen what I've seen through my A League experience at Sydney FC and Wellington. Um, uh, I've, I've found from personal, uh, from my personal point of view, that if the message is clear uh, and you're concise and you can articulate to players what you can see and then they can um, execute, that they're, they're more they're more willing to buy into that. They're not more, they're not willing to buy into um, an analyst or a coach telling them how smart they are because they see a lot of things. Um, and that also comes down to player management, I, I would say. But that's the one thing I have learned this year is, is that less is more, um, but the, the, you have to be on point with what you're trying to express. You have to be clear where you might use three or four different ways to express it to a player. Maybe the one way where everyone is on the same page is, is best. And, and that comes from obviously trial and error. There are certain things that we started at the beginning of the year that we thought would work and we kind of trimmed it down. The process has almost been the same, but there have been small adjustments. And, you know, buying, uh, sorry, uh, buying into it as well is often, um, is often uh, associated by uh, results as well. The fortunate thing we had this year is, was we were very steadfast in the first early parts of the season. So we had four or five weeks of tough results, but we were concise. We knew exactly what we wanted. We had a game plan. That was our game model. We didn't sway off that. And the player bought into it once we got our first big result. And then from there, it snowballed. So then the confidence came from that. And then the player had trust in what we were doing. And then we also had trust in the players that, you know, they could come up with ideas on their own. You know, we, we give them a certain a certain formula and then, you know, uh, it's also it's not that we restrict them completely, but they, they also are able to to adapt on the, on the run as well. I'd be, I'd be really interested to delve into, uh, into Wellington Phoenix a little bit. So, um, I mean, my geography probably isn't the best, but as far as I understand it, other than I think per, Perth glory maybe, most of the teams are in that sort of uh, on the uh, east coastline, right, or close to it. So therefore, even though you play in New Zealand, you're not drastically far away, although obviously further away than most of the teams are from each other, correct? Yeah, that, that's right. So uh, you have um, on the eastern seaboard, you have um, obviously Sydney FC, which is, uh, say, smack in the middle. And then you've got Western Sydney. We've got a new club coming through, um, uh, which is the new MacArthur team. You've got Newcastle, Central Coast, which are located like an hour and two hours respectively from Sydney. Um, so most of the hub is in New South Wales. And then you've got Brisbane, which is up uh, another 1,000 k's up north. Down south you have three Melbourne teams. You have um, Victory, Melbourne City, Western Melbourne. Um, so all those are basically an hour away. Uh, the Melbourne to Brisbane is two hours. We're three hours east. Um, so three hours to Sydney, uh, three hours to Melbourne, three hours to Brisbane. And then you've got Adelaide, who's um, a little bit more west, another hour on the plane. And then WA, that's called the distance derby between Wellington and Perth. It's an eight-hour trip. 
So, so uh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Go on, Giancarlo. Please, please do finish. No, no, no. I was just going to say that 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 becomes the uh, the tough trip um, for for the season because we play each other three times. So um, we got cursed by having uh, to play them twice in Perth. I wouldn't say cursed, but um, it's <laughs> they're long trips because you go there. It takes eight hours, and then when you travel. Back, Wellington, you're losing a day, so you, you know, uh, it's it's very, very. Uh, I, I'm not sure that that scenario is in Europe, or there's an eight-hour flight. I know there's a couple of four-hour flights and five-hour flights, but yeah, it can be very taxing. That 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 uh, ride. How have you found since moving to New Zealand the the culture? Uh, how how do, how do they embrace football? Because I mean, other than I guess the USA, Australia and New Zealand are pretty unique in the fact that that football really isn't their number one sport. Um, so, how have you found sort of uh, the, the culture in New Zealand's attitude towards football in general, and also how do you ensure that the club is able? I guess in the in the younger stages, and I know you worked in youth in Australia. How do you get the best athletes into your football team? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I, I would say Australia and New Zealand are very similar in terms of um, or they, they experience the same uh, cultural issues in terms of football. It's not it's not the number one sport in either country. Uh, New Zealand does have union as its number one sport. It, it, I, I don't want to say that football is is secondary in in status, uh, but a lot of resources do go to union, and, and it is. Like it's it, it, you can't escape it. Everyone loves the All Blacks. Um, it, it's embraced fairly well, uh, I must say, in New Zealand in terms of like participation and uh, and crowd figures for for an A League club. Wellington, there's only two hundred fifty thousand people, I think, or two hundred twenty thousand, um, and they get crowds between roughly nine thousand to fifteen thousand. So there is a supporter base, and the Knicks fans. Um, that's a, their, their nickname. They're great fans. Uh, they've got the yellow fever. They're very passionate. Uh, they stay uh, in tune with all the latest news, all the rumours. Um, so there is a culture there uh, of, of of a potential underbelly of um, of of football becoming uh, more predominant. Um, but the unfortunate thing with like Australian football is because they're competing in a multi-sport environment. Um, generally, what happens is resources aren't allocated to those sports. Um, well, more, the resources are spread out between the sports, and that also works at a top level in terms of uh, corporate and uh, and resources for clubs. So, um, w- when that happens, you know you get a splitting of, of talent um, through the country. Um, you know, New Zealand, a lot of it. Uh, Young good players that be identified could be going to play rugby league, rugby union, and a host of other sports uh, as well. Because of the lack of resources, clubs aren't able to basically fund the academy style um, system that you have throughout Europe and, and, and South America, where there's enough investment to, to take away the cost. So, unfortunately, in New Zealand and Australia, the academies like Wellington, Sydney FC, and um, I think there's only one club that doesn't charge uh, the youth players. So that that creates problems, um, not so much uh, finding players, but um, you might have a smaller uh, talent base because of the payment schedules. So that, that kind of 
complex youth development uh, long term. In terms of identifying players, um, New Zealand's a relatively small country, so um, but it's not not as thorough as you would like. Where um, because Wellington's the only A League club and located. Um, around the middle of New Zealand. It's a big sacrifice for, for players that don't live near Wellington uh, to come and, and, and be part of the setup. So there are academies that, that take that void, that work uh, around New Zealand that try to absorb those players. Uh, and they have a national league, uh, which is uh, semi-professional, but has good exposure. Um, so that, those players kind of get funneled through. But New Zealand, uh, respectively, have some very talented players coming through. Um, that get exposed to uh, European leagues, uh, Asia, a lot of now going through the US college system. So uh, they, they do have a, a play pool. And for the size of New Zealand, it, it, it's, it's actually very healthy. Um, I, I guess and this is a sort of a similar question. Um, obviously, you're the only professional club in New Zealand, if I'm not mistaken. So how do you ensure that you guys have an edge over the teams that are based in Australia. I mean, how do you convince players to come over to to be a part of the project that you've, uh, you've got going on at Wellington? Obviously, you've had a, a great season so far, so you're obviously building something there. Yeah, uh, look, I, I think Wellington's a, a great club, a great place to live. Um, if, I mean, I'll... The, the good thing with uh, our coaching structure this year is um, uh, Ufuk Day, uh, um, our head coach, was the former under-17s and uh, 20s coach for the um, for the Socceroos. So his reputation was built as well um, on part by giving young players an opportunity. So that made it really easy for us to tap into the um, 17 to 20 to 23 bracket uh, made a lot easier, um, and so it also, it also allowed scouting in terms of uh, player profiles, and uh, and just made it easier for us to to tap into uh, a resource that we knew. Um, in terms of the older players, and the um, we looked for some experienced players and and players that we thought could give us some value, and also could really fit into what we were trying to do. So we spent a lot of time trying to. Find the right, the right, um, the right type of player, uh, and um, and it was just basically lifestyle um, that we we're going to play a nice uh, brand of football, um, and we could give him a stable environment. And we'll actually, I think, Uffi did very good by um, selling that to the players from a very from early, early stage. I mean, uh, David, we started with six players in the beginning of the season. You know, it was basically a clean out from the old uh, from the old coach and old playing group. Uh, that was done for you know numerous reasons. We we felt like it was a, it was an opportunity to to start fresh. There were some players that wanted to move on and, and take uh, more lucrative contracts, and, and that happens. You know, we had players, we had um, um, we had a boy that went to Bayern Munich as well. So there were, there was a lot of changes in um, in the in the squad makeup. Uh, but uh, it, it was a real challenge to 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 get that right mix of player. But we we're very consistent in our messaging, and we had like uh, I'm not sure if we had um, uh, David Ball uh, come from England and uh, Gary Hooper as well, which is a significant signing. And, and we were really clear in our, our messaging, getting those guys across. Yeah, and I, mean, I think that that goes just 
just show you know that despite it being on the other side of the world, people are paying attention to you know the the A League. I'm guessing you're talking about Sar- Sarpreet Singh, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yeah, I mean, yes, yeah, and yeah, it goes to show that these players, yeah, absolutely will be breaking into you know you, you, the European leagues. Um, how, how do you go about that? I mean, that, that's a huge turnover from six players to being where you are on the table now is, is really an incredible achievement. How do you go about building a team, building um, a core, building something that these players buy into so quickly over a short period of time? Um, I think that goes back to the, the, the question that you asked before uh, when I was talking about process and um, making the messaging clear for players. Um, I, d- I don't think we ever swayed from, message, from the message from day one. I still uh, remember the first presentation we 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 gave to the place. So we uh, just to give you a little bit of a process, we we never change in the week the actual format of the week. So just to give you a bit of insight, um, uh, the players after a game will usually have a rest day. Once we come back from uh, so uh, post match uh, plus two, so so it would be minus. Uh, match day minus five, there'll be a review of the previous week. So uh, let's say we play Newcastle Jets, there'll be a review of Jets. So that happens at always the same time. Um, uh, the players come in. We train at 11, so at 10.45, uh, they'll be in and it'll be a group presentation. Uh, then we have a day off and then we'll have uh, an analysis of um, uh, the way the opposition plays with the ball. So that's obviously how we attack. And then the following day we'll have um, uh, defensive structures and and so on. So it's pretty consistent. Um, I still remember to, to this day the first um, the first presentation we had to the players was in regard to the training, and that was before we were playing games. So we'll, we'll, before that process, and it was a simple training exercise to show how we would maneuver in our block, um, and that messaging, the way we showed the players was a consistent messaging that happened for roughly 30 weeks. And and even though it was disguised in different ways, it was still the same message every week. It was almost basically that principle was re- reiterated in some form or manner every week, at least a couple of times. And that for me is, is, is consistency and that's one way of getting your message across. And I think that was – I think that's in part into how the players bought into – what, what we're trying to do. Um, even when we were losing games, we were still saying the same thing. We had a few things. And the players, I think, really saw as well that because we had a really good process and we're clear on what we're trying to do, I think they really understood that what we're trying to do is is effective and that if they were patient enough and they had the uh, they had the the willingness to, to persevere, that the, the results would come. So... Um, yeah, and luckily for us, well, I don't want to say the word luckily, but I, I think they really, um, they really stuck to the guns and showed a lot of discipline and and and, and turned the season around. I'm sure there'll be there'll be coaches listening to this interview who perhaps are from teams that maybe don't have an analysis department, but they may they may have the means to do some analysis. And um, I wondered whether, firstly, you think whether every coach should be an analyst and secondly if so how do you deliver um i guess more independent 
uh, sorry, more individual feedback to the players, maybe based around training in an effective uh, manner that that perhaps other coaches could adapt into their own practices, into their own sessions. Yeah. Okay. That's a that's a great question. So I'll start first with. Uh, um, coaches and, and possible processes for for analysis. Um, I, I, w- w- would would being analysis make you a better coach? Uh, I think I think the good coaches, the 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 ones that are really high level, uh, and that's including our head coach and coaches uh, in in all the professional leagues. I think are already analysts by nature. Uh, just because they don't hold the title, I don't think means they're not an analyst. Um, I think uh, I think once you once you're able to uh, take layers off and analyze your, and be and, and and be self-critical of yourself, uh, analysis is should be something that should come uh, as second nature to you. I think because. Um, if you're primarily just a, a motivator as a coach, uh, motivation won't work all the time. And if you're just purely a tactical coach, tactical uh, analysis won't uh, or, or always work as well. It's good to have both, right? So I think even if you're a motivator as a coach and you can find that tactical uh, aspect which comes through analysis, constant analysis, then I think that's only going to benefit fit, benefit you long term. And if, if I was asking an analyst to get into coaching, I would also tell him to take a man management course as well to to give him, you know, to give him a, a bit of an idea. Um, I, I think it's very important uh, that coaches do take do take that role if they're not comfortable. And if you have the ability to 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 have resource and and to analyze, I would suggest even and this is what I did from early on. I I remember using Longo Match, uh, the community program. I'm not sure if it's free anymore. Um, uh, but you can even start from there. You can put a game in. Uh, if you can get someone to record your games, you can set some code buttons up, some labels. Um, you can even have it in real basic way, and you can just cut moments up um, and you know watch things on a loop. I think that uh, I think a lot. I, I spent a lot of time. I, I watched every A League game this year so far, and I've probably watched them all twice now because I've reviewed and throughout the year and I've gone back to cut up clips. Um, I essentially, I have a process where if I really want to get a snapshot of the team uh, and I have the ability to cut all their possession moments and uh, defending moments and, and all the obviously other labels and, and that that I have, I'll watch it on loop and I'll watch it on double speed, for example. And and I'll let the I'll let all the tags run out. So, you know, if I want to see all the attacking third moments, uh, I'll put them all together. You might have like ten minutes in a game, and I'll watch them over and over. And then I'll just have them on repeat. And I find that process itself gives me a bit more insight because once you watch it fast, you can see patterns ha- emerging. Uh, you might see, for example, the the ball might end up. I'm just talking a basic way here, but you know, it might end up to the right fullback, uh, and that the right fullback on 70 or 80% of the clips doesn't go past the left side of midfielder, right? And then you must, and you look and you go, oh, God, that, that, that's interesting. And then you might re watch it later on, and you go, oh, you realize that the left side of midfielder is stepping across, so he's blocking, uh, 
uh, the players moving to go on the outside and the players not comfortable coming on the inside. And that's that just comes from simple observation. Um, so I, I find that 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 does help. Now moving to the second question, which is individual feedback and players uh, for players. Uh, that's something I do throughout the week, um, and I'll I'll consult with the head coach, um, and there might be a conversation on a certain player uh, or a certain group. Uh, for example, I might take the defenders. And there might be an issue where the defensive line might be a little bit too deep uh, when we press. So I might bring those players in and I'll go through it. There might be some uh, um, issues with the, with one of our nines uh, who is making earlier runs into the box, let's say from uh, one of our tens uh, when he receives a ball facing forward in the last third, for example. Um, so I, I might put all those clips on cue for, uh, I'll get one of my, um, interns to put all the clips of all his moments in that area. And we'll sit down. We'll go through a process where, uh, I don't tell the player what I think. I let the player essentially or the, or the group run through what he needs that they observe. They'll give me feedback. I relay that feedback back to them in a different way. And if I can get to a point where I can show them what I'm seeing, then we discuss it, we replay it, and there's always constant pictures, there's always constant reinforcement of words. And for me, the most important thing is the video because the video doesn't lie, but it also gives you the ability to see the inside of the player when he relays that feedback to you, which is very, very important because sometimes you might think you have the answer, but in actual fact, the player will trump you with, an insight that you didn't even think of. And then you go, oh, yeah, okay, I see that. What I do like is when I do those individual feedbacks is when I have two or three players is when they're all bouncing the ideas off each other. Because often not, then there's, uh, there's learning from the group itself. And all I'm doing is just trying to push them in the direction that I'm wanting them to, to maybe see. And often, uh, David, you, you, I'll be surprised that I'll learn stuff in that and then I'll just run with it, you know, with the players. So, um, and I think also the key with that is five, 10 minutes maximum. Try not to keep them there longer. That's also for our presentations, our team presentations. So we try and, um, we try to give as much insight as we can, let the player drive it and then, uh, and, and we, we We've had some interesting uh, examples this year where, you know, we've talked about certain things, shown players certain things, and they've been executed on the pitch that week. Is that coincidence? Maybe. Um, is it lucky? Maybe. Uh, but I also like to think that we had a bit of a bit of a uh, helpful hand in um, in in their success. Uh, one thing I'd just like to quickly jump on, and this is something that I don't feel that we like. I talk enough to about. Uh, analysts but when you're watching games this is such a small thing but i'm interested by it how often do you watch those games at normal speed where you just have all the stoppages cut out or where you watch them at double double speed or perhaps even triple speed yeah i, I try to avoid the triple speed because it's a, it's a bit chaotic and my eyes um can't handle uh the the speed and i'm watching a uh a screen for that long um i, I enjoy double speed i i uh, so essentially, I try to cut all the dead time out with my coding. So the process I'll do, for example, if, if we have a review, so if we play a game on Sunday, 
I'll spend Monday during the morning. I uh, um, I wake up. The game would be already coded if I'm at home games, but if I'm at away games, I'll be jumping on a plane coming back home. So on the plane, I'll watch the game once in double speed, and I'll tag the game, and then I'll I'll have a review of certain moments that I see in that real time. Then I'll come back to it when I get back home, and I'll go through the game again, and I'll review all the clips again. And because there's no dead, because there's uh, no dead time, essentially I can skim through all the BP mo- or all the ball possession moments, for example, in 25 minutes or 26 minutes or 20 minutes at, at, at speed. So the second time I usually see a lot, and when I'm really happy is when I've pressed a double review on the on the clip, which reinforces that I've seen something really good. Right. So. Um, uh, then I grab all that and then I put them, for example, I'll use sports code and I'll put them all in my organizer and then I'll have roughly 30 to 40 clips uh, in all the moments that I want and I'll go through them again and then I'll go back to normal time on those ones. And then I'm editing those clips in there so that, uh, I, you know, the, the runtime might be a little bit, uh, the, the clip starts earlier than what it should, so I'll cut it down or it doesn't start early enough, so I'll extend the clip. Um, and then I'll look at it. And what I was doing, um, it's, it's actually quite time consuming because I don't have the resource little, but I had two angles, uh, at the main stadium. So I had the, I had the TV, uh, sorry, I had the, the league footage, tactical footage, and I had my one, which was on the other end because, um, I just felt it was good to have that angle because it also allowed me to get to the dressing room a lot quicker, um, at half time. And I was overlaying both clips, so I was at both angles. So well, that helped with a lot of the fullback work where I was able to show the left side and then the right side. And I was also to, uh, it was able to show defending structures to the back four or whoever it might be. So uh, I felt that that was really good. Um, but yeah, in terms of, in terms of speed, um, I, I like watching in double time. I think it, it has a lot of effect, but that's if you're watching over and over again. If you're, if you're just watching it the once, I wouldn't recommend doing the double speed because there's a lot of detail that you'll miss. But if you're watching it and you train your eye and you're watching it over and over again, there's there's very little that you'll miss. Really interesting. The um, yeah, I mean, what, one thing I'd like to ask you about as well um, is your opinion on the data side of things. How much time do you give statistical analysis, for example? Um, so we have uh, we have a data output where uh specific to our model so it, it takes into to effect the moments that we're looking for in games and and it'll give us a general idea um uh, of of what we're well it actually reinforces um whether or not we're hitting certain uh things here sorry it's a little bit scrambled the way I'm, I'm, I'm describing this essentially we have a data set that tells us whether or not we're hitting our goals uh, in our in our style. So, you know, that goes from uh, penalty area entries to shots on goal. Also gives us a percentage in certain areas of the field. It gives us um, an idea of um, uh, our defensive structures. Uh, how many times uh, you know teams are able to break through us. So. It, it it does help a lot. We we don't get obsessed with the numbers um, because 
we, we kind of find if you're looking for a certain magic number, then it kind of, it doesn't allow then the other team the ability to. Well, you're basically saying to the other the other team's not developing. So, if the other team is getting better at defending and you're certain and you're hitting a certain number, then maybe that number is not going to actually be the right number. So, what we're looking for is mainly patterns in games, um, and whether or not basically a feel for the game if we're if we're if we're executing our, our game model. So, as much as we like to rely on data. Um, it's not a real driving, driving force like uh, I've seen some other teams um, uh, really aspire to. Like, so we we don't say before a game we need to have ten shots in the game, right? Because those ten shots, if you're telling players that we need to shoot, 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 they could be shooting from places they shouldn't be shooting because the goal is to shoot. Whereas if we give them a certain pattern and say, look. The areas in which we think an opportunity can come from might be here, and if you feel like you can get in here, then we, uh, we we give them the opportunity to get where they need to, and then whether they execute a shot or not is really up to them. But usually, uh, if they get in the positions that we want, they they will um they will shoot. I'm sorry, they, um, I know it's a little bit broad the way I'm describing it, but the the data set is not is not a, is not a prime focus for us. Mm. No, but no. It, it, sorry. In saying that, in saying that, sorry, David. In saying that, it it does reveal sometimes things that we we had impressions about that we we thought were were surprising. And I'll, I'll give you one example. Uh, about halfway through the season, we even though we don't press, we were the second best pressing team in the league in the opposition um, uh, half, which surprised us. Which meant that. Uh, that gave us that gave us an indication that our top six defending players were um, more well equipped to defending than what we thought, and that's not a. I'm not putting down the players in any sense. It just it was it was actual surprise that we were winning more ball in the opposition half than a majority of the other teams, well, better than ten other teams. Do you think there's still areas where analysis needs to develop, um, particularly from the perspective of someone who's you know, an assistant coach, is there, are there holes that you see in terms of what's available or things that you can do with analysis where you're like, ah, oh, I wish th- that we could do this or you think that this is where analysis is going to go? I, I'm not quite sure, and I might be speaking out of turn here, but I, I, I'm not quite sure that the analysis side is respected in our league to the point where, and I'm not talking from the, the clubs, I think that... Coaches in general don't use their analysis to the maximum effect. And because of that mentality, resources for analysis are actually quite limited at a lot of clubs. So, and I'm not sure if that comes down to coaching education or if that comes down to the actual environment or lack of resources and so on. So, and what I mean by that is, is that coming to the club at Wellington, what was done previously, We've gone completely another way, and I'm not sure the club saw value in that. And I'm not saying in a negative way, but I just don't I think it was very foreign to them. So I think, you know, getting resources for uh, for you know cameras and and you know get, getting all, all the stuff that you need was a challenge. Um, but because the coach believed in it, and because it, you know I, I drove that myself, I felt 
as though now we've shown them something that works and that has value and that more resource hopefully for the following year will come into play because of it. And I think at, in the A-League, I think it, the, the analysis side can like exponentially grow and I think the analysts at the clubs uh, from the ones that I know all want that to happen and it's whether or not coaching that a coach and the analyst see eye to eye or the coach sees the benefit in the analyst. But if you compare it to EPL standards or or you look at across the board at Europe and all the analysis side across the world, we're way short of the mark. Even though our, pro, our majority of our work, 80% of the work we do is all on the analyst side where we, you know, we could, you know, obviously we're limited with resources. I mean, we're making most of what we what we have. But I honestly think that uh, we have a long way to catch up. So, um, you know, simply having, for example, I love to be at a point where we can have uh, iPads or projectors uh, on ground for the players when we're doing training and, and have live uh, in-play analysis. Um, I'm not saying to the level where, you know, Hoffenheim have their in-screen play, but, you know, I'd love to, you know, be able to have in a break, get the interns to clip maybe with a drone. You know, we're working on, let's say, uh, back four uh, or, or block of eight. They're, they're working on just um, a low block, for example, and then we're looking at certain markers and, and uh, triggers and all that, all that kind of thing, and then showing them on their break and just reinforcing the picture. Um, as well, I'd love to have a resource where players maybe come in before they before they train, and instead of reviewing myself the the clips with them because it's a bit hard to do everyone we have computers all set up for the players to, to review their own clips and if they want to have data input that and they can you know uh, review and then come in and you know just there, there's so many things that you can do i mean i was lucky enough uh i went to uh, uh to one of the rugby union cl- uh, clubs uh, i think it was the hurricanes um yeah um and their, their setup for their analysis was great. They had um, they had drones, they had in-play screens on the pitch. They were able to break up on their break, show the players um, uh, what they were trying to do. They had drones. Uh, then their, review, their, their reviews were player-led on big screens and they were split up into groups. And then they had separate computers for players to come in and individually look at their their clips but mind you their budget for that is way, way uh, exponentially uh larger than what we have but that that's the sort of input I, I think any club any football club should be aspiring to as a minimum because the what you get out of that is as long as your messaging is clear and what you want those players are learning um every day and those players can what needs to be done and obviously you don't want to um you know you don't want to have analysis uh you know paralysis by analysis but you you do want to give the players the tools to to basically um uh to learn that's so interesting um the 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 last question i'd like to ask you Giancarlo, is what advice do you have that you perhaps wish you'd had right at the beginning of, of your journey that's a relatively um it's. I think that the answer changes every every year, but I think yeah, I think I think mo- most most people that start on this journey, are be- start with blindfolds, right? And then 
sometimes they often get trapped by a little bit of success and that can often actually blinds them more than the actual blindfold because you can get set in really some really um you, you don't want to be set in ways that are um a negative long term um you need to be flexible you need to find a mentor and if you can't find a mentor you really need to be open to learning and listening and and being brave in what in what you want to do um you know, if you asked me five, six years ago, you know, I was one of these football idealists. I could tell you, you know, um, the best teams need to play like this or my teams need to play like this because Barcelona was playing like this. Or, And I find the the more I move on my coaching journey, the, journey, the more I realize that um, every coach is different in their mindset. So there are no right answers. The, the, but there are right approaches. So if you if you really believe in your playing style and you really want to bring that out, as long as you're clear, as long as you believe in the football philosophy, as long as you're detailed, as long as you can give that confidence to players that that's the way you want to play, players will buy into that. And you also need to have that uh, unwavering belief that even if things are going wrong, that it, it doesn't need, you don't need to change drastically. You just need to tweak a couple of things here and there and you just need that confidence. So I, I, I would say, uh, I would say if you, if you look for one of those things, if you just keep an open mind, if you keep working hard, you keep observing, always ask questions. There are no stupid questions in football, right? Because, um, you might get be surprised with uh, some of the answers that you get, um, and there or there are heaps of people that want. Like I, my 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 goal here um, in the A League uh, or football in general is to make Australian football and also New Zealand football better, and I think that's going to come through um, better coaching. I, I've I haven't seen a country yet that have produced a golden generation of players that uh, year in year out with poor coaching. Um, I think you, if you you can always source it back to a good structure and good coaching. And if I can inspire one coach to get his process right, and then that means, or for younger generation, then that means that you know we're going to have one or two better players coming through. And if everyone is on is on board with that, then um, our countries will develop. And it really doesn't really matter how many resources we have. It, it really comes down to. Just the will and um, and um, depth of knowledge and and application. Sorry, mate. That's got to be preachy there, but yeah, <laughs> that was fantastic. Thank thanks so much for your time, Giancarlo. I really appreciate. It. I know it's late there, so thank you so much for staying up and and uh, and doing this and um, and giving your insights. So really appreciate it. Yeah, well, keep up the good work, David. I really um, uh, enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, enjoy the magazine. I see they've got a couple of podcasts up already, which has been great. Um, and just uh, if anyone wants to reach or, or touch base, you can always contact me via um, my name uh, at uh, wellingtonphoenix.com and I'm more, more than happy to have a chat. That's great. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Giancarlo. And uh, thank you, everyone, for, for listening. We'll see you next time.